Happy Lord's Day. It is good to be face-to-face before the Lord together in worship this morning. It is hard to believe that we are here. (laughs) Ten years ago, I showed up with no children and a very pregnant wife for reasons that are still inexplicable to me, would wear those stripes that go horizontal to sort of accentuate how large she was. Remember particularly the 4th of July at Hershwin Darlene's and her sort of like just worrying that she's going to roll down the hill and not recover. The Lord has been so faithful over the last decade to us. We went from showing up with just the two of us and a baby on the way to six children and 10,000 blessings beside. Uh, Our 10 years here have been the best of my life. (laughs) See, I'm going to start getting emotional early here. It's not good. Uh, Lots of notes today. They've been some of the best of my life. This has become home for us, and we are so grateful. This is a, a sermon I have thought a lot about, but feel very unequipped to deliver, and so we will be asking for extra help from the Lord this morning. It's also, it's going to be a little weird because a lot of it is going to be directed at Mike and David in particular, Uh, specific application for them. Even though Mike's not here, uh, I'm going to speak to him as if he were because he will hear this eventually. The place that I thought made the most sense in the Bible to speak to you from on an occasion such as this is Paul's farewell speech in Acts chapter 20. So you can turn there together with me. We're going to cover verses 17 through 38, which is the entire speech. And in this speech, Paul gives to us the profile of a pastor. He does that by showing us his own example in ministry and saying, I have lived this way among you, and this is how you ought to live as pastors of the churches you oversee. And after I go, you're going to face challenges. And so here are some things you need to be equipped to do. You need to guard and oversee the flock that you are to care for. He's going to take their attention to his example and then give them an exhortation. And these things together work to fill out his profile of a pastor before finally he gives to them a commendation. He entrusts them to God and his word. That's reflected for you in your outline. And then you can see to the right side of that little vertical line, the very pertinent application to us. That's the roadmap this morning. What I would like to do now is read the text in its entirety, pray, and then step back through it together. So Acts chapter 20 starting with verse 17. It should be noted, Paul is hastening to be in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Pentecost, and so he's passed by Ephesus and then sort of taken a break, a stop here at Miletus, and this is where he will call the pastors of the Ephesian churches to himself. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, He said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility 
and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. But now, I commend you to God, into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The scene here is emotional. You can imagine for yourselves what it would be like to be towards the end of your life and perhaps on your deathbed. Imagine your breathing has become labored. Words have become harder and harder to produce. And gathered around you are all of your children and your loved ones. You know you have very limited amount of time to say words that are your last and that you want to be lasting. You want to leave them with words of eternal significance, of importance, of weight. That's the position Paul is in here. 
He knows he will not see these pastors again. And he wants to leave them with words that last, with words that are of great importance. And so in this speech, he lays out for them the profile of a pastor, the priorities of a pastor. And the first priority he lays out is that a pastor should love Jesus Christ above all else, even one's own life. You can see that in verses 22 through 24, wherein we discover the occasion for this sermon. He tells them, I am headed to Jerusalem in obedience to God's word, in obedience to the direction of the Holy Spirit. I am constrained to go. I am bound to go. And I know that if I go, I will face imprisonment and affliction. But still, I will go. Paul's greatest love in his life is not his own life. Paul's goal is not a good life not his best life, but to spend his life in obedience to the Lord Jesus, whom he loves supremely. Christian, your goal should not be a long life or a good life or your best life. Your goal should be to live a faithful life unto the very end. Notice he's committed to running his course to completion. This is a challenge. Some of us, we get excited at the beginning of the Christian life. We we love Jesus so much. We're happy to read our Bibles and to share our faith. But as we age following Jesus, well, it's harder at 30 than than it was at 20. So we back off a little bit, get a little less committed, a little less on fire for the Lord. And Paul is saying, do none of that. Follow my example. I love Jesus more than my own life. And his example serves as a summons for all of us. We should love Jesus more than our own lives for our whole lives in our teens, in our 20s, and on into our 70s and 80s. None of us get to stop following Jesus because it gets hard. No, no, we are to follow Jesus together in tears and in trials because we love him, because he has loved us. Look at Paul's life here, and he is not shrinking back from suffering. He looks at what is before him, imprisonment and affliction in Jerusalem, and he says, it is my delight to go. We can almost hear his words from Philippians 1 reverberate in our minds. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying in comparison to fulfilling the call of Christ in my life, my life is not valuable. My life to live is Christ and I want to run the whole race. Can you say that? Brothers and sisters, live your whole life following hard after the Lord Jesus. Love him supremely. Finish the course before you. After all, no one gets medals for not finishing marathons. 
They don't make, you know, 3.2 stickers for you to put on the back of your car because I made it three of the 28 miles. I mean, maybe they do now. It's Participation Trophy Society. Um, the point is still the same. Faithfulness to Christ, true love for Christ, will abide in Christ and will finish the race. Will follow Jesus' word into suffering and into the grave until he leads you out the other side and finish the course and the ministry that you have received from the Lord Jesus. The only way you can do that is by loving Jesus supremely. Love Jesus first. Loving Jesus first is essential for every Christian and particularly for pastors. A pastor that does not love Jesus first has set himself up for failure, for disappointment, and he has set the church up for a great fall. I'm very thankful that Mike and David are pastors that love the Lord Jesus Christ supremely. They are men who fit this profile, and God has been kind in giving them to us. I can say with a clear conscience that I have been among you over this last decade, all of my imperfections aside, as one who loves the Lord Jesus supremely. And my hope is, is that my love for the Lord has been something worth imitating. I made a lot of promises when I came here a decade ago. And by God's grace, many of them have been kept. And keeping Jesus utmost in my affections is one that, by his strength and his power, has been fulfilled. Pastors must love Jesus first. Mike, David, you must love Jesus supremely if you are to serve his church well. Do not shrink from following Christ into suffering or into hardship. Finish the course. Paul will finish his course. He has loved Jesus first. And so now we turn our attention to the first part of his speech where we see a second priority in that pastoral profile, which is the necessity to love the people one shepherds and oversees. Paul loved the Ephesians, prayed for them, lived with them, served them, and led them faithfully. Look at verse 18. He says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And then drop down to verse 33. He picks up sort of the same theme again. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak 
and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul is a shepherd. He is an an overseer. He, He is to rule over the sheep. And yet he lives among them not as one who uses his authority as a bludgeon, but as a blessing. He uses the authority God has given to him to bring blessing to those under his charge and to build them up in the Lord Jesus. He humbly serves them through tears and trials. He pours out his life for them. He is committed to giving rather than receiving. To the extent Paul even foregoes his right to be paid as a minister and works with his own hands among the Ephesians. He loves this people. He lives with this people. I mean, what an example Paul sets for all of us. As Christians, we ought to be committed to living with one another, to humbly serving one another in good times and in bad, through tears and trials. After all, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love, and it's not general, sentimental love, but love that is aimed at one another. Paul loves the people he is among, and we ought to love the people we are among. We are called to be in real community with real Christians. Otherwise, we can't love each other as Jesus Christ has commanded us. This is one of the many reasons that we need to belong to a church. Listening to your favorite TV preacher and singing along to Christian radio in your jammies, it doesn't cut it. That's easy to do that. But Jesus calls us to be in real relationship with others. And that's hard. But it brings great blessing. Being in relationship with each other, sort of like going to the gym. You don't always want to do it, but if you do it, and if you get through some of the pain and the trials, you get really strong. And you begin loving the routine and the discipline of going to the gym. This is what happens when you join a church. All of the selfishness gets pushed out of you as you press in in relationship with one another. You become more and more humble, more and more concerned about the needs of others and how you can glorify the Lord Jesus together rather than what you can sort of squeeze out of it. We talked a little bit about this last week from Philippians 2. We said we need that Philippians 2 DNA. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of of others. As Christians, we ought to be a people who are committed to worshiping Christ together, following Jesus together, humbly serving one another to the glory of God. This is especially true of pastors. Mike, David, 
you must continue to be shepherd rulers, humbly serving the Lord Jesus by doing what is best for the sheep. Good pastors love their people. Good pastors like Paul live in real community with real people. They pour themselves out on behalf of others. And again, we can praise God here. I am thankful that Mike and David have led the way in giving, in praying, in loving, and in burden bearing. One of my favorite passages is in Galatians 6.2 where Paul says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I can testify that these brothers have done this for me. I have personal experience. I remember early on uh, having an unexpected financial situation, difficulty. I remember Mike putting his arm around me, praying for me, and he even opened his wallet for me. Can you believe that? I know. It's crazy. He did it again, too, a few years later when I, you know, he says I intentionally forgot my wallet on the way to a conference. I don't know, maybe. Paid my way for the trip. He, he has helped carry me through my ministry here. He's corrected me of my sin and led me to repentance. And you all have no idea how many terrible, awful mistakes and ideas he has protected you all from by stopping me with his wisdom. And there are a lot of them, I mean, for real. He has been a good friend and a good pastor. He, he fits the bill of a pastor who fits Paul's profile. Now, now I know there was the thing at VBS with his shirt, uh, but you know Pam fired his shirt and allowed him to stay, so we're good. David also fits this profile. Again, personal experience. Anytime I do anything wrong, which is a lot of the time, uh, David ends up with a phone call. One of my favorite experiences uh, was after church one Sunday, I decided I was going to cut my grass. And for whatever reason, I used to drive my vehicle down to the shed at the end of the property and get on the lawnmower and then go about my business. And, and somehow, I managed to reverse over the well. And I know you guys are thinking, the well is in the middle of your yard? How? I don't know. I don't know how it happened. It happened. You know, water was coming out and didn't stop. And I was like, I, I guess I'm going to have to tell somebody about this. David had it fixed. You know, he always knows somebody. I think he's tied into the mafia. It fixed, I, he had a guy at gunpoint, but it got fixed um, <laughs> that same day. And he never, never gave me a hard time. Oh, yeah, he did. He, he did. He smiled at me and nodded and offered to set up caution cones out there. Uh, so that I wouldn't repeat the mistake. He's been a friend to me. He helped me with the well, and uh, he's also been there for me when I've welled up with tears. I remember on one particular occasion being at the end of my rope, uh, wanting to move out of ministry, and just weeping as David held me and quipped, well, you can't deliver pizzas. <laughs> He has shepherded me. He is a pastor who fits Paul's profile. 
I'm so thankful for the pastors here at Rockfish. And I can say I've tried to follow Mike and David's example in both caring for them and caring for the church together. I mean, by God's grace, this is a church that loves one another, prays for one another, serves one another, and bears one another's burdens. By God's grace, I can say I have kept the promise to love Jesus and to love you. And I would be remiss if I didn't express how thankful I am for the love that you have had for your pastors and me in particular. Time forbids me to enumerate all the ways you have blessed my family over the years, but I could easily multiply stories. Linda Dodd visiting my home with food time and again. She makes me these delicious tiny little chocolate chip cookies. I hide them from my kids and try to eat them all so they don't get any. Of Paul taking care of my cats. Of Sherry Davis bringing all sorts of toys from the share shed for my kids. We pull in the driveway and they see guns there. You know, guns, yes. Of Barb keeping me organized. Of Jerry sacrificing his lucky rock to Elliot's business endeavor. It's smaller than a dime now. Carries it with him though, most times. Until you have Dennis allowing himself to be talked into more and more responsibility around here. Of Janie taking my children to the library and to swimming lessons. Of Matt cutting the grass for me while I'm out of town. Of Marlene showing up to give my kids piano lessons and just hang out with them for a few hours in the afternoon. They get a little crazy, it's true. I have to kick them out sometimes. And tell you of Tim and Jenny and Pam and Susan putting up with me week after week as we try to organize the service together. I can tell you of, of Connie uh, not hating me, even though I invited her over for dinner twice and forgot two times in a row. In my defense, she didn't have teeth for a while, okay? She didn't know that she was going to do much eating. She's got them now, though. She's good. I can tell you of times early on, Herschel organizing building and grounds activities, getting all sorts of things done around here that, that I never could have accomplished. Of the Senate's, uh, watching my children, and losing one of them, just for a little while, over and over again. I tell you of Janet and of Kim giving me paintings for my study. Of Laura Ann uh, not holding a grudge against me when I spilled her coffee in here that one time. There have been so many wonderful blessings to me and my family. So many good relationships here. I'm thankful that you all have loved me. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I can stand before you today and say I've followed Paul's example in this. I've loved Jesus first. I've loved you all. And I have been faithful to preach repentance toward God and faith in Christ Jesus. You see that in verse 20. Paul says, served with humility, and you know, verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 26. 
Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You guys be going, it's a little weird that Paul at this point says, your blood is not on my hands. Why is he saying that? Well, he's stepping into that illustration that we had from our scripture reading in Ezekiel chapter 33 this morning. He's saying, I was like a watchman on the walls. And through my faithful proclamation of God's word to you, I have warned you of the wrath to come. I've warned you that man is sinful, that he is destined for God's holy justice, and that the only way to be made right with God is through faith in Christ. So if you do not obey this word, your blood is not on my hands, but on your own head. He's saying, I've pulled the fire alarm, and if you choose to remain in your seats, you will find yourselves burning, and my hands will be clean. Brothers and sisters, I can stand before you as one who has preached to you the whole counsel of God. Together, we have worked through over 18 books of the Bible and all sorts of places besides. Now, we even went through Leviticus. Many of your favorites now, I know. But Mike and David, you must commit to continue to ensure that God's word is preached here. The whole council. Paul gives this exhortation because there is a temptation for pastors to shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. It is tempting to never preach on church discipline or on sexuality or on what a pastor does or on marriage or on authority or on judgment. There's a temptation to avoid those topics that feel like sandpaper on our skin. But you must not do that. You must not shrink back from hardship, and you must not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God with courage and faith in Christ, faith in the word of God to do the work of God. Brothers and sisters, do not put up with pastors who do not love God's word. If ever Mike or David shrink back from declaring the whole counsel, gather together and put them out. The church cannot flourish under cowardly pastors who shrink from obedience to God's word. Elders who avoid teaching and obeying God's word because some find it upsetting are unfit to lead and ought to resign. Cowardly leaders cripple the church. Spineless pastors who are ashamed of God's word are putty in the hands of the world. They allow their flock to walk into sin without warning and bring blood guilt upon themselves. Do not shrink back. Proclaim God's word faithfully. Continue to guard this pulpit. Paul exhorts from his own example pastors 
to not shrink back from preaching repentance toward God and faith in Christ. So I stand before you as one who is claiming to have kept these promises, to love Jesus first, to love you, and to preach God's word. To my, the best of my ability, I've sought to follow Paul's example in filling out this profile of a pastor. And now, like Paul, I want to turn my attention more specifically uh, to Mike and David and give them the same exhortation Paul gives the pastors here at Ephesus. You can look with me at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or guardians to care for the church or to shepherd, same word, to shepherd the church of God which he obtained by his own blood. Brother pastors, you must guard yourselves. What this church needs from you most is your own personal holiness, your own supreme love for Jesus. If you do not lead in loving Jesus, if you do not guard your own life and doctrine, then the church, well, it will not guard its own life and doctrine. It's similar to that command Paul gives to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Pay close attention to your life and your doctrine. Persevere in these things, for in doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Guard yourselves individually and guard one another as well as the next preaching pastor. You'll notice Paul is not only emphasizing personal accountability, but mutual accountability. Yourselves there is in the plural, which again shows us how important it is that there's more than one pastor because pastors need pastored. We need to guard one another from error and arrogance. Do that for one another. Do that for the next brother who is the primary preaching pastor. And do so with confidence. Did you notice in verse 28 who it is that has made you an overseer in the church? Here in verse 28. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God has appointed you as a pastor over this church. There is no higher calling. God's sheep are precious to him. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, and you all are under-shepherds, caring for that which is precious to him. Every member of this church has been ransomed with the blood of Christ. Jesus purchased the lives of his sheep. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you must lay down your life for this people. They matter to God. Church, you are that valuable to God. You are beloved by God. He gave God the Father, sent God the Son, and the power of God the Spirit that he might live a perfect life on your behalf and die a substitutionary death on your behalf. Jesus came and he took on a second nature to himself so that he might be killable, so that he might die for your sins, and so that he might rise up from the dead so that he can pull you out of the grave together with him. 
to live and to rule and reign in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. This is good news, and it shows us how precious God's people are to him. Do not forget how precious God's church is to him. It's true that that sheep are not the brightest of animals, that they stink, and all the rest of the negative things about sheep. But I want you to know, I don't think the Bible uses the sheep imagery primarily to tell us that we are dirty and stinky and stupid. Though that may be true. Rather, I think the imagery of sheep is used because sheep were familiar in agrarian society. They were valuable. Measure wealth by how many sheep you have. God's flock here at Rockfish is incredibly valuable to him. Loved by him. Do not forget how valuable this people is to God. Protect it from threats. There are always threats aimed at the church. Verse 29 I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears There are always threats from without of the church, outside of the church, and from within. And not even among the congregation, but Paul points the finger even at elders themselves. And these wolves share a common characteristic. They twist scripture. They seek to divide the body of Christ, to tear off limbs, as it were, and to graft those limbs onto themselves. There are wolves out there. Jesus has told us this in Matthew 7, 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Brothers, wolves must not be entertained. They must be identified and guarded against. Pastors cannot play the part of little red riding hood with wolves. Oh, what sharp teeth you have. Oh, what novel and twisted doctrine. How interesting. No, when pastors play the part of little red riding hood, sheep pay the price. Elders must deal with wolves by their commitment to sound teaching and faithful biblical practice. They must not shrink from suffering and hardship. They must not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. And they must not shrink from admonishing everyone with the word of God. They must not shrink from doing those things that the Bible tells us will contribute to the health of the church. You you protect the church by teaching the word faithfully and by keeping wolves out of the sheep pen. That's why the Bible puts a premium on knowing who and who does not belong to the flock. Why we say church membership should be meaningful and important. Without meaningful membership 
wolves are invited into the sheep pen without meaningful membership. We cannot practice church discipline in any way such as to remove a wolf from our number. Good pastors will protect the church by leading the church to practice meaningful membership and Christ-honoring church discipline. These practices, as, as you know, can offend people, hurt their feelings, but you must not shrink from continuing to practice them. They will guard the flock. They're crucial for keeping the sheep safe and strong. A flock of sheep mixed with wolves cannot be long protected. Do not shrink. Guard yourselves and the church. And I, and I want you to know, Mike, David, I have full confidence in you. I am grateful for your faithful pastoring of me and of Rockfish thus far. I have no doubts that you will be faithful moving forward. And I really am excited about what God is going to do here in coming months. I, I think there is going to be a great time of harvest upon my exit. I'm excited about how much you all will bless uh, the next senior pastor. Uh, Rockfish Valley Baptist Church is a rare jewel. Since day one when I came here, this has always been a Bible-loving people. You guys love the Bible. I wouldn't have lasted two seconds if you didn't love the Bible. This is a small, ordinary, faithful, God-pleasing assembly of believers. And people notice. It has been one of my greatest joys to talk with visitor after visitor when they come and to hear, you know, the preaching wasn't that special. The music was just, it's not that special. But wow, God is among you. This is a wonderful place. I, I love this church. I hear that all the time. Visitors notice. Preachers notice when they come here. Talked to, to brothers recently who speak all over the place, and they say, you know, I've been to a lot of churches, and many of them I will preach, and it seems like the people don't like me, like they're maybe even mad at me a little bit. I preach at Rockfish, and I can tell those people love God. They love the Word. They love me. It's night and day. I love coming to preach at Rockfish Valley Baptist Church. So encouraging. This assembly has been blessed by the Lord. You all have loved me well. You've loved Mike and David well, and, and I want to encourage you this morning to keep running the Christian race together faithfully. Continue to love Jesus first, to love one another, and to give yourselves to the faithful preaching of the word. Having given his example and his exhortation, Paul gives his final commendation in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance 
among all those who are sanctified. I follow the pattern set by Paul this morning. I have set before you my own ministry. I have kept my promises to preach the word, to pray for you all, to love you all, to love Jesus first, to lead you to the best of my ability in accord with the Holy Scriptures. My course will continue at First Baptist. My race as your pastor has now been run. It is finished, but you are not. I am going, but Jesus Christ will remain. And once more, we will say together, he must become greater and I must become less. The work of God will continue by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. I love Psalm chapter 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We are not laboring in vain here. God is the ultimate builder. Depend on him and his word. He has set you apart for an inheritance that is undefiled, imperishable, kept in heaven for you. He will get you safely home. He will keep you in his word. He will hold you fast as you hold to one another and you hold to Christ through every trial and every tear. Depend on God. Eat and drink of his word. Love him. Love one another. He will get you safely home. And I will see you there, if not before. Farewell, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for 10 years together. I thank you for this church. I thank you for holding me up with your righteous right hand. I thank you that there has been no scandal or disqualifying sin in my life. I thank you for the brothers and sisters here who have borne my burdens, who have stirred me on to good deeds and love, who have helped me to walk by faith. I thank you for all the wonderful things that you have done here for your providence in calling this people together at this time in this place. I thank you for all the wonderful things you have in store in the future going forward. You deserve all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Lord, thank you for uniting this group of people together by the blood of Christ, which redeems us from all sin and unrighteousness. This morning, once more, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would help us to become and practice what we've been declared in Christ, which is holy, and to look forward together to the new heavens and the new earth as we walk the course that you have set out before us. All praise be to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.